so good to see all of you here today. We've had two wonderful services prior to this with many folks who have come to Christ. And I believe that God has something special for everyone who has darkened this door. And so I'm going to ask us to stand for the reading of the Word, and then you can be seated. Our overflow across the hall is overflowed. So it's, it's good to see all of that. I'm so glad the weather didn't keep you away. I woke up at 4 o'clock this morning and said, oh, no. But, you know, there's something about Resurrection Sunday. If Jesus rose from the dead, you can get out of bed. Amen? Let's, uh, let's look at the great chapter on resurrection written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul. And he, he's dealing with people who were going around spreading uh, the rumor or the belief that there really was no resurrection. And so he's answering that. And here's what he says. Tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God because everywhere they went, folks, in the first century, when they began to go preach about Jesus, they preached about the resurrection. Their message was, he rose from the dead. That was their message. Jesus got up from the dead. So that's why Paul says, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case... All who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we're more to be pitied than anybody in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And then the last verse, and he's the first of a great harvest of all who have died. And that harvest includes everyone who has ever put their faith in Christ, Jesus rising from the dead was the first of millions to follow. That's what the first fruits means. He was first. But if you know him, you're coming out of the grave one day. Now, Father, we just thank you for your blessing today. And I pray the resurrection becomes more real to us today than it's ever been before. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he's risen from the dead. Now, how many of you have ever heard of a man named Harry Houdini? You ever heard of Harry Houdini? Harry, uh, Harry Houdini is a famous magician, and here's what his forte was. He lived in the early part of the 20th century. He died in October 1926. So he was there at the turn of the, uh, or at the later 18, 19th century and into the 20th century. Um, Harry Houdini was a famous magician who specialized in spectacular escapes. He was known for being able to get out of anything you put him in. He was a master at escaping seemingly impossible traps. He is said to have laughed at locks, that is padlocks, and sneered at the fetters of chains. Nothing seemed to be able to hold him. Nothing could bind him. Nothing could keep him. 
They said that he had the flexibility of an eel, and he really did have the lives of nine, cat, nine lives like a cat. Nine lives like a cat. They did all kinds of things to try to incarcerate Harry. This was his shows. This is what he did. They would seal him in coffins in front of a crowd of people, and he would escape. They riveted him in a boiler, which is a metal container, and yet Harry escaped. They sewed him up in canvas bags, and still he got out. They sealed him in a barrel. Still he escaped. They even put him in a maximum security prison, said he won't get out of here, but Slippery Harry got out. How he did it, nobody knows, but that was Harry Houdini. But then when he reached October 1926, old man death laid his hands on Harry. And guess what? He couldn't get out. Everybody thought he was going to. Oh, Harry didn't die. He's going to come back. We know him, the master escape artist. At his funeral, one pallbearer was heard to say to another, I guarantee you he's not in that coffin. He even told his wife, Harry Houdini, on his deathbed, when it looked like, okay, this is it. He told his wife, said, come here, dear, let me tell you what's going to happen. If there's any way out, I'm going to find it. If there's any way out of this death, I'm going to find it. And when I get out of it, I'm going to make contact with you and we're going to celebrate on the day of my death. She so believed in him that for 10 years, she kept a light burning over his portrait in their home. At the end of 10 years, she turned out the light. Death had Harry, and he couldn't escape, and even his wife finally had to admit it. But let me tell you about somebody named Jesus. Death also laid his hands on the Lord Jesus Christ, and death put Jesus in something Harry Houdini would not have been able to get himself out of. Death put Jesus in a solid rock tomb. And there was a stone over the mouth of that tomb, and the seal of the Roman government was placed on that stone, but it didn't stop there. Here's this giant stone rolled over the tomb where they laid the body of Jesus. It says that a Roman guard, that is a, a, a number of Roman guards were dispatched and placed around that tomb to be sure that Jesus did not get out or his disciples didn't steal him away. But on the third day, the Bible declares that Jesus Christ rose from the sleep of death. And I want you to listen very carefully to me. On that third day, the Bible declares something miraculous. You know the Bible, really, the story of Jesus is sandwiched in between two miracles. A virgin's womb and an empty tomb. Both incredible, unexplainable, supernatural miracles. He was born of a virgin, how can that be? And he rose from the dead, how can that be? Unless he is and was who he said he was. Jesus got up on that third morning, sat up in a totally dark, no light whatsoever. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. He sat up, breathed in his first breath in 72 hours, took off the grave clothes, neatly wound them up, and placed them where his head has been. He shed them like a butterfly would shed a cocoon, and Jesus stepped out of that tomb into the rising sun of the first Easter morning, and that's the story of the Bible. That's what the Bible tells us about Jesus. He passed through walls of stone. And by the way, that stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. He just walked through it. It was rolled away to let us in so that we could see he is risen 
from the dead. That's what the Bible declares about Jesus. Now, when you think about Christianity, you usually think about the cross, right? I mean, here we go. There's the cross. And, and, and you talk to a Christian, they're probably going to have a cross somewhere, a cross necklace, cross ring. You go into a Christian bookstore, and there's crosses for everything. There's crosses for the cover of your Bible. There's crosses for, for anything you can imagine. You don't see many empty tombs for sale. But guess what? The story of Jesus doesn't stop with the cross. Matter of fact, without the resurrection following the cross, Paul said, we're here in vain. Paul said, this is a waste of time. If we're only here because of the... Now, he did die for our sins on that cross, but he had to rise from the dead according to the Scriptures. There had to be a resurrection. Did you know that the Bible says that over and over again, Jesus spoke about his resurrection, what was going to come, what was going to be done to him? Why is the resurrection so important? Why are we here today in mass? So many people on today. It's not about an Easter bunny. It's not about an Easter bonnet. It's not about an Easter brunch. It's about Jesus rising from the dead. Did you know that it's this important? Here's why. Because the resurrection was the defining moment of truth as to whether Jesus was who he had claimed to be. It was the defining moment. Was he real? Was he not? Was he son of God? Was he not? Because he said he was going to rise from the dead, so he had to. His word rested on it. Jesus spoke all the time about the fact that he was going to be crucified and he was going to be resurrected from the dead. If you read the four Gospels, you'll be struck by the fact that Jesus predicted over and over again his own betrayal, his own death, and his own resurrection. You know, I'm amazed when I talk to people about Jesus, how little people know of what he really said. It's amazing to me. Because I was talking to a, a precious little Jewish woman who had, has grown up going to synagogue. I was in an eyeglass store, and I got to talking to her about the Lord. And I, and I quoted Jesus. I said, did you know that he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life? And she said, he said that? It's amazing, even in America, particularly in America, we don't know what Jesus said. We're not really aware of the things he said about himself, who he was, what he came to do, what his purpose was. We, we don't know it. And so we need to understand that Jesus clearly, publicly, repeatedly said, they're going to crucify me, they're going to abuse me, they're going to beat me, they're going to wrong me, but I'm going to rise again. On the third day. He told his disciples, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now, you know, if I'm following a charismatic religious guy who's, who's teaching really powerfully and he's really magnetic and a lot of people are following him with me and, and all of a sudden he pops off and says, you know, the day's going to come, they're going to kill me, but I'm going to rise again from the dead. I'm going to step back and think about who I'm following. Because you are either a total psychotic lunatic, very deluded about yourself to say that or you have to be somebody that has never been here before or since. There has to be something supernatural about you. You cannot be a normal human being and say that. Two separate witnesses testified to Jesus' statement. 
that if his enemies destroyed the temple, meaning his body, he would build it again in three days. Now, everybody around him said, oh, you're t- what do you mean? They thought he was talking about Herod's temple, one of the wonders of the world. The, Herod's temple was this incredible edifice, and they thought he was saying, if you tear that temple down, I will build it in three days, though it has taken Rome 46 years to build it. But he wasn't talking about the temple at all. He was talking about himself. Listen to this dialogue between him and the Jews. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and are you going to raise it up in three days? But it says, he was speaking of the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. When Jesus got up from the dead, they remembered he had said this. They're going to kill me, but I'm going to come back from the literal dead at church. I want you to catch that today. Jesus wasn't a normal human being. He was all God, all man, all man, all God. He was God's only begotten son. That whoever believes on him would not perish and have ever, but have everlasting life. When they asked him for a specific sign... The religious leaders, the ones who knew the Old Testament, said, give us a sign, Jesus. If you're really the prophesied of Messiah, give us a sign. Show us something that will knock our socks off. Show us something where we will undeniably, irrefutably must admit that you're the one. Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah, the prophet, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, notice Jesus believed that story. Jesus believed that Jonah and the whale were historical fact. He said, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, then the whale spewed him back out and he prophesied to Nineveh, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, that is, in the grave. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a whale, then the whale gave him up, and he essentially lived again. He said, I'm going to go down into the heart of the earth. I'm going to be buried for three days, but I'm not staying there. I'm going to come out again. And that's the sign of the prophet Jonah, and that is exactly the sign that God's going to give you. God's going to give you the greatest sign of all. A dead man is going to come back to life especially during the last six months of his earthly life, Jesus emphasized the importance and necessity of his upcoming crucifixion and the triumph of his resurrection. The Bible records Jesus saying, uh, from that time Jesus began to show to his disciples he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised again the third day. And watch this. He said it over and over again. There was no denying that Jesus said, I'm going to be resurrected. Jesus also made the amazing claim that he himself would resurrect himself. He said, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me. Church, Rome didn't take his life from him. The Jews didn't take his life from him. Enemies didn't take his life from him. Jesus laid his life down willingly for you and for me.
He said, I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it again. The predictions Jesus made of his resurrection were such common knowledge. Watch this. He had said it so many times, so often, publicly. He had said, I'm going to rise from the dead, that the Roman guards and the Roman military were very concerned that once he was laid into his grave, his disciples were going to come at night and steal him away and then start a myth that Jesus had risen from the dead. And so they went to Pilate, the governor, and they said, hey, Pilate, listen, this deceiver was going around saying, I'm going to rise from the dead on the third day, and we better do something. We're asking you to send some Roman guards to stand watch over that tomb, or his disciples are going to come at night, and they're going to steal him away, and then the deception is going to be worse than we were dealing with before we crucified him. Because you know, Pilate, who he said he was. He said, I'm the son of God. I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm God's only begotten son. I'm the Messiah. So Pilate, we can't afford his disciples coming at night and rolling that heavy stone away and stealing his body and hiding it somewhere and say, he rose, he rose. So will you help us? And Pilate responded, Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. And save the people he has risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. So Pilate sent a guard of Roman soldiers and a full Roman garrison consisting of at least 20 rough, burly, tough, war-hardened men were sent to this tomb out of fear that his disciples were going to come and roll this gigantic rock away and steal him. I want you to think about this. Picture with me. 20 tough, burly Roman guards posted around the grave of of a dead man to be sure that he stays there. But 2,000 Roman guards could not have kept Jesus in that tomb. Listen to what the Bible records early on Sunday morning. As the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. This is the second earthquake reported after Jesus died. When he died on the cross, the earthquake. And the Roman soldier said, surely this must be the Son of God. But now here's a second earthquake. And it says, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, a messenger from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. A real angel. I like that he was sitting on top of that stone. That stone was there to keep him in. And he rolled the stone away and sat on it as if to say, we've got victory over this rock. You can't keep the Son of God in here. And the Bible says that when this happened, when this angel appeared, the Roman guards saw him. And it says the guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. These big tough men fainted. Because they said, this is out of our job description. An angel. And they fainted. And later, 
It says a meeting with the elders was called because some of these guards ran to the elders. They, 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 they were bumfuzzled. They were blown away. They could not believe this. It was like, what in the world did we see? This is way beyond our pay grade. We did not sign up for this because we saw a supernatural being that looked like lightning. And he told us that Jesus was risen. So a meeting of the elders was called. And they decided to give the soldiers a money bribe. They told the soldiers, here's what you say. We're going to have to come up with something. So here's the story. You must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. And if the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you don't get in trouble. There's a real problem with that. Those Roman soldiers knew that if I fall asleep on my watch, I'm killed. And they're claiming that all 20 or more of them fell asleep. I mean, it's like, this is totally preposterous. Roman guards did not fall asleep. It's like something that would come out of Washington. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. And their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. So in spite of all the efforts to keep Jesus in the tomb, he arose and he was repeatedly seen. The Bible says that the 12 disciples saw him over and over again. They put their finger in the hole in his hand, their finger in the hole in his side. They ate with him, talked with him, saw him, and watched him rise again into the glory of heaven. And 1 Corinthians tells us that 500 other followers saw Jesus between the resurrection and the ascension back into heaven. Eyewitnesses saw him, talked to him, touched him, ate with him, recognized him, worshipped him. That's the message of Easter. This is not a religious story. It's not out of Brothers Grimm. It's not some myth or some fable. This is what the Bible claims. Now, you might say, well, Jeff, you know, really and truly, this is all great and wonderful, but what does this matter to me? Here in the 21st century, that was 2,100 years ago. What, how does this help me? What does it matter to me? I'm, I'm glad you believe this, and I'm glad this uh, gets you excited, but what does the resurrection mean to me? I'm going to tell you exactly what it means to you. Let me tell you what the resurrection means to you, why it matters to you. First, if there was no resurrection, folks, let's be clear. Christianity is a hoax, and we are wasting our time. If there's no resurrection, if I found out today there was really no resurrection, I'd never step in this pulpit again because my message is Jesus rose from the dead, and because he rose from the dead, he's got power over death, hell, and the grave, and he can change your life as the resurrected Savior. But if that didn't happen then who am I to ever stand up here again and talk about anything? Let's sell the building, turn the lights off, and go home and watch reruns of I Love Lucy or Star Trek or whatever. Because there's no use to ever having church again. Paul the Apostle wrote, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Without the resurrection, he's just another man. Without the resurrection, he's just another world religious leader, and he's in the same league with all the rest. 
The resurrection sets Jesus apart from any other world religious leader that has ever existed. And that's why Paul said, here's the truth, Jesus is risen from the dead. Paul gave his life for that. The apostles gave their lives for that. Eleven of the twelve of them were martyred. They died for that truth. Right now in our world today in the 21st century, there are Christians being martyred as I'm preaching to you right now, and they're not being martyred for a good teacher. They're not being martyred for just a a nice guy that lived in the first century who walked around tiptoeing through the religious tulips saying sweet things to people. They're giving their life for the resurrected Christ, Lord of lords and King of kings and the soon coming king. Matter of fact, one of our missionaries, David Hatley, our missionary to Africa in Kenya, lost three people in this latest terrorist invasion of that school. There are people all over the world giving their lives, not for a dream, not for a myth, not for a fable, but because they know that they know that they know he was who he said he was, and he's risen. Professor Thomas Arnold, a world-renowned historian, once said that Christ's resurrection from the dead is the best attested fact in human history. Because not only the Bible affirms it, but historians from that time affirm it. Even Josephus, the historian who was a Jewish non-believer, affirmed that you couldn't explain the empty tomb of Christ. There's a second reason that Jesus' resurrection matters, and here it is. The resurrection is one of the major proofs that Christ is the Son of God. Paul said this. He said, Christ is, quote, declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. How do you know he was the Son of God? He rose from the dead. How do you know he was the Messiah that all the prophets predicted coming? He rose from the dead. If he didn't rise from the dead, he's null and void. But he rose from the dead. Everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus did, everything he claimed about himself, who he was, what he had come to accomplish, rode on whether or not he rose from the dead. Have you, friend, you here today who are not usually in church, and and listen, I grew up not being in church, so no slam there, not condemning you, but I want to ask you a question. Have you considered the claims of Christ really? Have you thought about it? Have you considered who we're talking about? Who he said he was, what he said he came to do, what the Bible says he did, the fact of the resurrection. Have you considered that? Have you pondered that? Have you taken seriously the claims of Christ? When Jesus walked out of that tomb that first Easter morning, it affirmed to the entire world that he was indeed the Son of God. And there's a third reason and a last one. The resurrection matters to you and me. This might be my favorite, though the first two I like. Jesus' resurrection provides the assurance that we can be forgiven of our sins. Listen listen to what it says. If there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Listen, you are still in your sins if Christ has not been raised. Now let me tell you what would happen if I went on ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSNBC, or Fox 
and preach this the way I'm preaching it to you now, here's what I would be told. First of all, a long cane would come out from somewhere and wrap around my neck and pull me off quick because our culture doesn't want to hear this anymore. But let me tell you the truth. Our culture teaches and preaches and believes and lives like there is no sin. Oh, we don't have sin. We're basically good people. We have flaws. We have mistakes. We have weaknesses. We have shortcomings. But we're not sinners. Don't give me that old archaic Christianity stuff. But here's the testimony of Scripture and the testimony of Jesus. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. We've all turned aside. We've all walked away from God. We've all gone our own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus said, the righteous don't need, uh, don't need me, but sinners. I've come to call sinners to repentance. He said, the, 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 the healthy and the whole don't need a physician, but those that are sick. I'm the physician, the great physician, and I've came for humanity. I've come for humanity who has a sickness, a disease, and the disease is called sin, and we've all got it. Now, by saying that, I'm not saying you're somebody terrible or awful. What I'm saying is this. We are born with a bent, a bent towards breaking God's law, and every single one of us break God's laws. And when we do that, it's called a sin, S-I-N, sin, middle letter I. It's all about me when I sin. It's what I do. Jesus said I've come to seek and to save what was lost. See, Jesus came on a rescue mission. Jesus invaded planet Earth. He came from heaven. He was God's only begotten son. And why did he come here? Why was he born in that manger that first Christmas morn? It was a rescue mission. He came to die for us so that we could be forgiven. That's a fact. But if he didn't rise from the dead, we're still in our sins. He hung on that cross. Isn't that a beautiful cross? Our folks here made that cross. But I want you to know that Jesus died on a cross. And he died for you and he died for me. He took our place on the cross. And God judged Jesus in our place. He knew we would never get to heaven on our own merit, on our own works. And so Jesus had to die for us. Without a cross, there was no crown. He had to be crucified before he could be resurrected. The reverse of Paul's words would be this. Since Jesus was raised, your sins will be forgiven when you by faith turn to him. So watch this. He's hanging on that cross. And when he hung on that cross and he uttered the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's what he was experiencing. For a momentary uh, time, God had lifted his hand off of Jesus, and Jesus was bearing the sins of the entire world. It was what he dreaded in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was that one moment on the cross, not the pain of it, not the crucifixion, not the nails. He had dreaded this moment when he would be separated from the Father for you and for me. And he took your judgment your sin and mine. And that's the message of the Bible. And it's the truth. When I was 16, I was in juvenile detention center. I was in jail for the sale of narcotics. I had had a judge look at me and say, I'm going to see to it that you go to uh, Huntsville. I was put in my cell and I asked myself this question. Why do I keep doing these things? What's the matter with me? 
What's wrong with me? What's driving me? 16. And somebody came that week, and I was invited to go to a gospel service in the juvenile home. And I heard the gospel for the first time in my life. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And something grabbed Jeff's heart. And I knew that what I was hearing was true. And I said, Jesus, come into my heart. And he did. 16 years old, no high school, none. No 9th, 10th, 11th, or 12th grade, none. Kicked out early. Yeah, I heard this gospel of this risen Savior. And I realized he's not dead, he's alive. He's not just some historic inspirational personality he he really did die and rise again and i'm gonna face him (laughs) 60 years after his death jesus appeared to john on the isle of patmos and he said i am the first and the last and the living one and i was dead and behold i am alive forevermore he's risen but you know what Everything you're hearing does no good if you don't appropriate it yourself by faith. Let me give you a simple illustration. If you were dying today of some disease and I said, listen, there's a doctor in town and he's got the shot. He's got the vaccination for you. If you get to him, he will give you the vaccination and you will live and you will be healed. What good would it do you to sit at home and say, well, Jeff told me there's a doctor down in Fort Worth and if I would just go to him, he's got the vaccination that would make me whole and I would live again. What good does it do you to sit in your living room and say, yep, that's probably true. That's probably true. Isn't that great to know that in Fort Worth, there's a doctor that he's got the vaccination that would make me whole while I sit there and I die. The only time it does you any good is if you run to him and say, hey, doc, I need what you've got. And he says, here, now here's what Jesus says. My vaccination is the blood that I shed for you. Now, here's this simple. Jeff, how, how, how do I do this? How does he come into my life? Jesus said in Revelations 3, verse 20, here's what he said. Behold, I stand at the door, and I knock. Now, imagine this. Jesus is knocking. He's knocking on the door. What's the door? It's your heart. Behold, I stand at the door, and I knock. In other words, I'm coming to you personally individually who is it it's me I want you to open the door well I'm afraid if I open that door you're going to turn me into a Jesus freak you're going to turn me into one of those Bible thumpers no if you open the door I'll come into your life and fellowship with you have a relationship with you and you with me. I'm not going to turn you into a freak. I'm going to turn you, a freak, into something beautiful. Here's Jeff Wickwire, 16, in juvenile home, terrified, and I opened the door. And he came into my life. What about you? Can we stand together? And don't leave. Please don't leave. We're about to dismiss in just a moment. And I want you to be very still. Because somebody next to you right now 
might be in a real battle within themselves. Those of you that are in the overflow, listen very carefully to me. I want everybody to be still in the overflow. And I want everyone to bow your head in prayer. Don't think about anybody around you. Nobody matters here right now but you and Jesus. Now listen carefully to me. Perhaps you used to walk with the Lord and life happened and you got busy and you drifted. Or some sin got a grip on you and you got out of church, you got out of prayer, you got out of the Bible and you have drifted. Today is your day. Today is your day. Because here's what Jesus is saying to you. I'm still knocking, and I want you to come home. Come home to me. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Or maybe you're here today and, and you have never, you've heard the knock. You know that he's knocked on the door of your heart before, but you never open the door. And if you don't open the door, there's no vaccination. you got to open the door and let God reveal his love for you to you. So while we're about, I'm going to lead us in a prayer right now. And many of you here today would like to pray it with me. And I invite you to do that right now. Are you ready? We're going to go to Jesus right now. Here we go. Say with me, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. Jesus, I believe in you. I place my faith in you. And I ask you to forgive me. I open the door of my heart. And Lord, forgive me for drifting. Go ahead and pray it. Forgive me for drifting. I come home to you today. In Jesus' name. Now with your heads bowed.